Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Kreil. Today I'm joined by Paul Third, Andy Skinner, and Jamie Gerrent. How are we, people? Oh, good. Hi, thanks, Ryan. Hi. So, obviously, it's been both a dismal weekend and a brilliant weekend from our perspective. Aberdeen losing 4-1 to Ross County in Dingwall, and Ross County beating Aberdeen 4-1 in Dingwall uh, in the aftermath of that there's obviously been quite a lot of talk about the future of Derek McInnes the Aberdeen manager uh, about Ross County's hopes for the rest of the season there's also the potential of a championship suspension to discuss in the wake of John Robertson's comments last week as well as comments of his boss Chief Executive Scott Gardner in the aftermath so we'll get cracking we'll go we'll start at the Global Energy Stadium Dingwall okay Andy you were the one that was there out of the four of us. Um, right from the start, Ross County on top, set the tone, scored really early. Was Did you ever fear for County or do you think they they played it perfectly? They played it perfectly. Um, to answer that one, I mean, they, they just got off to the dream start. And from that point on, um, you know, although Aberdeen had a, a lot of the ball initially, Aberdeen were being kept at arm's length. There were a couple of long-range shots from... Matty Kennedy and Sam Cosgrove, but you know, County weren't being cut open uh, before they scored their second goal. And you could tell quite early on that Aberdeen just seemed rattled. Um, it was evident in the build-up to the opener. Obviously, Andy Considine had given possession away in the, the middle of the park. A bit of a, a rushed start all round from Aberdeen with you know, Derek McInnes not even anywhere near his dugout by the time the, the ball hit the net because um, Aberdeen had been late for the kickoff, So it was um, just the, the worst possible start for them. And the, the second goal was was even worse, really, with the, the amount of space that Harry Payton was in, in a dangerous position to to flight the ball into the far post and pick out a completely untracked run of, of Charlie Lacken, who didn't even cleanly connect with his finish and managed to, to kind of send it beyond Joe Lewis. Um, it was actually from that point onwards, Aberdeen got a good foothold in the game and, and dominated the remainder of the first half. There was a, a, a tweak of formation which was enforced really due to the, the injury suffered by Ash Taylor. Uh, Shea Logan came on and Aberdeen switched to a back four and uh, some of Aberdeen's attacking players really started to, to make an impact in the game. Uh, Scott Wright and Matty Kennedy were were really lively, and the chances followed. Um, you know, Kennedy had had one, Wright had one, both fantastic saves by by Ross Laidlaw, um, and then the the goal finally came on the the stroke at half time, a bit of a, a scrappy one. But you know, the half time conversation among the the press was that the onslaught was coming, and that Aberdeen were going to to step it up, and it would be a real test for for County's resistance in the second half. But County. This is where they deserve credit because they they stood up and really limited Aberdeen to to very few, if if any, clear cut chances after the break. Um, you know, although Aberdeen had a, a lot of the ball, the county did really well to to kind of stand up and stand tall to that. Which again, it's it's something that we've kind of criticised them for throughout the season, but they they really stood up to that test of metal. And you know, when the the opportunities came their way in the uh, the latter stages to to put gloss on the the victory. The the uh, the duly delivered. So a fantastic afternoon for for the Staggies. 
Now, I'm quite keen that this doesn't just become a, a discussion of Aberdeen's faults. Um, obviously, there are issues with Aberdeen's defending. You've touched on them a little bit. I'm sure we'll get into them a bit more um, handy. First of all, I'd like to say that lateness never pays. So the Dons maybe should try and sort that out next time. Um, but yeah, County. They deserve praise, don't they? For a team, a team comes up to Dingwall, like Aberdeen, a team that's better than them, in inverted commas. And they make a point of getting on the front foot. They they make sure they're set out to attack. And it pays dividends. It, it spooks Aberdeen. And as I said, right from the start, it's kind of the game's only going one way. Um, is that going to be the John Hughes model going forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, John Hughes has made a, a point quite regularly of, of saying that Ollie Shaw at times, um, you know, when the game is dictated, um, Ollie Shaw up front has been quite isolated and he's not particularly a target man as such. He's, he's more of a striker that likes to run in behind. But I think the key on on Saturday from, you know, right from the get-go was having that supply, you know, with Regan Charles Cook and Jermaine Hilton both kind of engaging in the, the final third with him. Um, it was a, you know, just a show of belief from the very start that County could cause Aberdeen problems. Um, it's something that's been building up in their play gradually as, you know, John Hughes' um, era has kind of gone on. Um, the, the defensive side of it, as we touched on last week, has kind of been the priority. But, you know, just slowly but surely, the, the attacking area is becoming uh, you know something that they're they're showing a, a lot more encouragement in and you know they've shown a couple of times now that they've they've got big results in them they, they won down at easter road um and this victory against aberdeen was even more compelling so um it's it's something that county new now need to take on and and try and develop that consistency particularly against the, the teams in and around them in the in the table because they have shown that they're capable of of being a match for some of the top teams in the league. Okay, so we'll get back to County's game this coming weekend and their prospects for the rest of the season in terms of the table. Um, but I can't. I don't feel we can hold off on Aberdeen any longer. Paul, my first question to you: three at the back. We've discussed it a few times over the over the various episodes we've done um, this season. We've talked about how it's been a success. Um, however, it's also been abandoned in quite a few games now. Um, and there's been a marked improvement. Aberdeen, a team that's up at the top of the table, perhaps shouldn't be changing their formation to react to how a team lower down the tables playing. Is it a sign that maybe four at the back is the better option for Aberdeen for the players they have available? I've, I've seen quite a lot of people suggesting that this week already. I wonder if it's a sign that the four in front of the three isn't functioning as well as it as it was in the first half of the season. And we're just seeing that back three being put under more pressure. That certainly looked to be the case in Dingwall on Saturday. In terms of a back four longer term, I think we might see it on Saturday against Motherwell, um, but purely because personnel is going to dictate where Aberdeen are going to go from that result at the weekend. Uh, Ash Taylor, as we know, went off with a, a back spasm, but... Uh, we hear that it's clearing and he should settle down and be available for the weekend. Uh, Johnny Hayes could also be back involved. Um, but you still have to think that they're going to have one defensive option less because obviously Ross McCrory went off injured. Um, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks with a, a puncture in his foot, we're hearing. So that's one option that needs to be addressed. You've still got Greg Lee not back there. 
It really all depends on on who Aberdeen have available. Yeah. I still think three is the way Derek McInnes is going to go longer term because he feels that's where he gets the most out of his team. But in terms of the opposition, they, they do seem to be having more success against Aberdeen's back three in recent weeks. Well, I think just now I say this, they seem to be struggling to kind of string any kind of any kind of fluency together. And I mean, the, I think the records now, if I can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's is it three wins in, in 11 games just now. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. So it's, and they've had kind of results in there. Obviously, the county one's the one that stands out as the most immediate one and probably the most, um, well, has to say, but embarrassing one um, from a scoreline perspective. And you've obviously got kind of goalless draws in there as well against Motherwell um, and against um, St. St. Johnston as well. So it's, it's difficult to find too many positives to cling to at the minute if you're an Aberdeen fan. So with the injuries that are kind of coming as well, I mean the options for the manager are going to be are going to be fairly limited. And he's already kind of said that he's not looking at bringing um, bringing anybody in this month. So it's going to be a case for Aberdeen of of kind of going with what they've got just now. Can I can I ask? Is there not more sense in say Greg Lee is fit again soon? We're hoping that'll be the case. Um, I had a Motherwell as well, I believe. If Greg Lee's fit, if Shea Logan's available, people might not think Shea Logan and Greg Lee are the best right back and left back in the world. However, if you've got two center central defenders available in Tommy Hoban and Andy Constein, why not just have Logan at right back, Lee at left back, and free up the likes of Matty Kennedy, Johnny Hayes, Ryan Hedges, people that have all played um, right back or left back in the um, next to the three over the course of the season? Why not just free them up to to create chances, to score goals? Because that's Obviously, an issue at the other end of the pitch. Does there not, not sense in that? No. In theory, but I wouldn't say that Kennedy and Hayes, in particular, have been particularly defensive. I know they've played as as wing backs for much of the season, but they've been right up there. It's just the quality hasn't been there in the final third. That, that's Aberdeen's bigger issue than anything that's happening at the back for me. I just think the fact they're not scoring goals, they're not playing with the same freedom they had when Marley Watkins first arrived for example and you're just seeing that pressure now starting to tell on the, on the defence and the goalkeeper because there's so much more chances coming against them now that, that teams just weren't getting in the first half of the season In previous games we talked about the, the attack struggling there in previous games you could level the accusation at the Dons that it's the creation of chances hasn't been good enough that there haven't been enough high quality chances that you're expecting Cosgrove and Maine to be scoring more goals than they have um, obviously, that can also be down to Cosgrove and Main's movement. It's not just up to other players to put stuff on a plate for them. However, at the weekend, the issue didn't really seem to be that high-quality chance creation. It seemed to be putting the chances away. I don't know if you agree. The Main, Cosgrove, both got balls inside the six-yard box, failed to control them. Scott Wright had a couple of efforts, I think, from pretty close range that were kind of half-hearted straight at the goalkeeper, although Ross Laidlaw has to stop them, of course. Matty Kennedy, similar thing. Do you think that given the chances they had, that they should have had the goals at the weekend? I think it's a combination of all those factors. The supply has been poor. Yeah, there's no getting away from that. Um, Aberdeen have been getting into good positions in the in the final third, but the ball just not been there. No end product. Um, on the occasions when they have got it right, the guys getting on the end of those balls haven't been putting them away consistently enough. What is it? Six goals and 27 appearances combined for... Curtis Main and, and Sam Cosgrove. It's not really good enough for a team that wants to be top three, top four in a Scottish Premiership. It's been a really frustrating season for Aberdeen strikers. Um, it, but it's not just as 
straightforward as saying, well, the ball, the balls are not there. The service is not there for the, these guys. Look, look at the opportunities that the likes of Scott Wright and Ryan Hedges and Johnny Hayes have, have created this season. But it does seem to be the bigger factor at the minute in terms of, I don't know if it's confidence, in terms of the guys off the, the striker or the strikers themselves, but Aberdeen are not showing any sense of clinical finishing at all, anybody in the team. Just to relate it to, to Saturday's game, which you know it's the, it's the only time I've, I've seen Aberdeen in recent weeks, but um, I mean, the 20-minute the spell between going 2-0 down and half-time was kind of you know a sign of Aberdeen back to some form of their their fluent best. Um, you know I've heard people say that that's that's kind of the best attacking play that they've shown in in several weeks. Um, so I suppose there was frustration and not being able to capitalise on that. But you know then again they did get the goal before half time, um, even if it wasn't a, a work of art. But um, I suppose the, the biggest frustration would be the, the second half. I think because. For all Aberdeen had plenty of the ball, um, they they really struggled to to get in behind County, and I suppose it was maybe an unfamiliar position for Aberdeen to be in because you know as as much as we've touched on the recent record of uh, you know only three wins from from eleven, they've they've not really been in a losing position very often. Um, it, you know, biggest frustration there has been clearly not turning draws into more victories, but um, and I suppose when they're playing up against a team that that did have something to hold on to. Um, they really struggled to come up with the, the, the sort of the fresh ideas to to break that down and, and find an answer. Um, so it, it probably just a, a team that's lacking in confidence in, in, in that final third just now, and that was really plain to see, particularly from the, the second half. Do you think do you think there's an issue somewhere with the variation in terms of kind of the strikers that they've got? Because obviously Curtis Main and Sam Cosgrove are the two main ones, but they're both kind of very similar in the way they play that they rely on the the kind of the physicality to get their openings I mean you've obviously lost Marley Watkins and Ryan Edmondson this month and the only other option you've got at the minute is is Bruce Anderson who I know a lot of people have kind of clamored for for more inclusion I mean do you feel there needs to be a kind of a change up there at all do you think you can can you incorporate two of those three possibly well we've seen two of those three being used recently but we haven't seen one of those three stake a claim to be getting a regular run in the side. We can sit and talk about Derek McInnes, as I'm sure we're going to very shortly. But somewhere in that club, a, a striker needs to take responsibility and say, I'm the top dog here and I'm going to go out there and show it. And nobody's doing it right now. I think that would make it much easier to pick the team if there was one striker. The problem at the moment is because none, none of the two of them are really scoring. It makes it easier to play both of them. If there was one of them that was clearly the one that was on form, it would be easier to put them up front themselves and surround them with those attacking players that are going to be able to help the team play that free-flowing attacking football, create more chances, I suppose. Um, Paul, you rightly touched on it there. Um, the fan lockout makes it difficult to tell, first of all, based on um, previous uh, sticky patches in the past. But do we think this is the loudest the McInnes out calls have been? I mean... The problem at the moment, I suppose, is that a lot of the the discourse is sort of limited to social media in a way because there's no fans in the grounds. But it feels really toxic over the last few days. It does, but it isn't time for change, as far as I'm concerned. Um, jumping the gun, uh, jumping the gun. No, no, no. Let's be honest. 
because this is where this is where we're going. There's been pictures of uh, somebody stealing their mum and dad's bed sheets and writing me- messages about the manager going and hanging him outside by Todry, doing the rounds. But I just I don't see it. Um, right here we go. Now, when whenever a subject comes around and we talk about it, we always get the accusation of we're McInnes apologists. I know I get it all the time. Um, but what From I would us, say is, to be fair. <laughs> guilty. The risk factor is high in taking a step like this. If we're talking about would Dave Cormack cave into to fans pestering him, saying you need when you're making a change, uh, was Saturday a poor result? Undoubtedly. But looking at the season so far, are Aberdeen underperforming? Ah, I'm not so sure about that one. They're a point off third, despite having played two games less than Hibbs who leapfrogged them at the weekend. Their loss in Dingwall was, what, their fifth league defeat of the season? And three of the other four losses have beat the Rangers, a team who nobody else has beaten in the Scottish Premiership. I think it's hardly anything but a crisis in my book. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you see these pictures circulating on, on Twitter and whatnot, I mean, part of you just kind of... You kind of ha- your heart sinks a little bit because it's, it's these guys that are kind of... They're getting there... 15 seconds of, of fame uh, so to speak and I mean the, the latest one was one last night with guys with, with masks and, and hoods on posted outside the the reception at Pitodri and I mean I've seen plenty of people mentioning Rey Mysterio this morning making an appearance um, outside the home ground of Aberdeen with a guy with him there was less than 619 fans there that's for sure <laughs> um, 619 <laughs> but it's yeah I would agree it is it is probably as toxic as it has been for a while, and it would be very interesting to see what the reaction would be if supporters were allowed in the stadiums. And you kind of have to caveat that with social media is never really a, a kind of a reliable kind of barometer of the kind of the mood of, of things. Um, because at the minute, people need an outlet to vent at. They can't really can't really go and see other Don's fans or kind of speak speak to them unless it's like within their own household. So they're going to kind of vent on social media and particularly with, with Dave Cormack being on Twitter himself, that kind of, I think that probably amplifies things as well. It probably gives fans an excuse to go on and kind of tweet tweet Dave Cormack and, and ask him, yeah, like as Paul mentioned, like, oh, when are you going to make a change? Um, I think in terms of the kind of the, the style of play, things have maybe gone a little bit stale. Um, they're not Aberdeen aren't kind of an attractive team to watch at the minute, which I think is is adding to a, the ire of a lot of fans. If you're winning games regularly and you're playing and you kind of you're playing a style of football that's not necessarily easy on the eye, then you can kind of get away with it. Um, kind of speaking from my own experience as a as a Middlesbrough fan, I kind of found that when we had kind of Tony Pulis in charge. We didn't kind of play the the kind of the most attractive football, but if we were getting results, then it wouldn't necessarily be an issue. The issue is when you stop getting results and you're still playing this kind of football, you've kind of got nothing there to to cling on to. And as I kind of touched on before, Aberdeen's kind of recent run of of three and three wins in eleven that that's probably kind of amplifying things a little bit as well. Um, and you do. You do think it it would be a very big surprise if they were to make any change this month, um, just with the kind of the, the situation we're in as a whole and where the club are in, in the league. Um, I think there's still there's still a lot to play for, and as we've seen at 
uh, kind of further down the road at, at Celtic. I mean, things aren't things aren't necessarily rosy there either. So I think there's still there's still kind of plenty to play for before Dave Cormack has to kind of kind of need to make a change. Yeah, the I mean the there is so much still at stake this season. Um, you know, third place is realistically what what is expected of you know Derek McInnes in, in every season. Um, the, the fact that Celtic have been you know underperforming this season probably adds another layer of frustration to you know the sense that Aberdeen haven't been able to pile on more pressure. But um, you know, if, if if Aberdeen were to finish third with the way that the the European competitions are being restructured this summer with the you know the advent of the uh, the conference league you know that, that that's an exciting thing to look forward to it, it adds a whole new significance to finishing third um with a you know a greater chance of playing european group stage football so you know i think if aberdeen can can turn this around and you know go on a, a good run and finish the season strongly you know that they'll be looking back on this you know day in dingwall as being the sort of the, the wake-up call that, that really triggered a, a big reaction. And um, I think Derek McInnes, more than anything, deserves that that chance to turn it around between now and the end of the season. And, you know, as much as, you know, the the idea of a, you know, a fresh appointment probably appeals to a lot of people, you you have to think that, you know, the remit for, for his successor would, would be largely the same as what he's consistently delivered over the years. Um you know, I know they finished fourth in the last couple of seasons, but you know they've they've finished um, in a position that's allowed them to qualify for for Europe, which has kind of been the the key. Um, and you know, if they they are to finish third this season, I, I'm not really too sure how you know a, any successor is going to to better that in in any way and and, and be expected to um, to hold a, a stronger challenge to the old firm because. You know, I don't expect Celtic to be as bad as they've been um, for for too much longer beyond this season. So I, I just think it's a, a difficult situation to to really expect you know an awful lot of progress to to be made as a result of of making the the change. It's a a really awkward situation. It's really easy to look at this whenever this subject comes up with your your Aberdeen glasses on, if you like. But let, let's take Celtic and Rangers out the equation for a second. Can you name another team that's qualified for Europe back-to-back in the seven years that Derek McInnes has brought European football to the Dons? There's one. Yeah, but it's 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 how much value the fans place. In that. I, I suppose someone's got to represent these people, although I don't agree with, I don't agree with abuse. Um, some of the stuff I've seen directed at McInnes is beyond the pale on social media this week. However, I do agree with some of the frustrations in the sense that what you're talking about there, European qualification, the the finishing in the top four cup, like none of these things matter to the fans. What the fans want is is silverware. They know they're not going to win the league realistically. They want to see a challenge. They want to see they want to see games won against the Celtic and Rangers, and they want to see trophies. And it's undeniable that. And I'm sure McInnes would admit this himself, that the trophy return probably hasn't been good enough given the positions the Dons have found themselves in. It's easy to say that Celtic have been really strong for the last four years, but at the same time, Aberdeen, by being so good, in inverted commas, over McInnes' tenure, have still won as many trophies as what? Um, St Johnston? Teams like that? It's far inferior budgets. So, I, yeah, I think... 
I think there are some legitimate concerns there, although I would agree that with what Jamie was talking about, mainly the fact that um, I think from a Dave Cormack perspective on making a change, it'll come down to whether um, third place is totally beyond the team and whether the Scottish Cup um, campaign is unsatisfactory later in the season. This this reminds me a little bit of what we kind of went through um, a few years ago with, with Ross County, and I think Andy will obviously kind of be uh, kind of aware of this as well. Obviously, when Jim McIntyre left County, I think at that time, they were maybe not as kind of voluminous as it is with, with Aberdeen fans, but there were kind of a few fans that were a little bit disgruntled with the way McIntyre had got County playing um, and the kind of the initial enthusiasm of his performances had kind of had kind of waned off a little bit and they obviously Roy McGregor made the change there they brought in um, Owen Coyle and I think there was maybe a little bit of fanfare about that because he was a little bit more of a, um, a high profile appointment and then things kind of kind of spiraled quickly um, and I mean I think a lot of it stemmed on what was expected of of County in the wake of what they'd achieved under Jim McIntyre, obviously winning the League Cup and, and finishing in the top six um, for a club of Ross County's size was a huge overachievement. Um, and then it was expecting County to achieve because realistically that they weren't going to be a top six side. And again, this, it's similar there for, for Aberdeen at the minute. Um, if they do decide that it's time to to make a change what what are you realistically expecting the new man to come in and do because without significant investment from the chairman and the board i don't see them kind of going any further than they do than they kind of are just now i think there's a glass ceiling there at the minute um particularly with the kind of how strong rangers have made themselves over the last few years um as to what um of what Aberdeen can achieve. I would agree that you, you would have liked to have seen one or two more pieces of silverware over the course of the last, um, what, nearly seven years now since the, since the last trophy. Um, but in terms of a, a kind of a league position, um, you can, you are kind of going to need greater resources to kind of try and break into that uh, kind of top two duopoly just now. And the only way what? of getting that is European football. You can get to as many cup finals as you want. You can win some cup finals too. That's always nice. Who doesn't enjoy that? But you get more money for reaching the group stages of the Europa League than you do for winning the Scottish Premiership. That's why Europe is the be-all and end-all. Keep that street lingo out of this podcast, Paul. <laughs> anyway, so does this is the natural way this situation currently resolves itself um, is the Dons going into the transfer market, do you think? I know it's previously been said in this window that they won't be in investing in fresh blood um, during January, but given the, the current feeling, do you think do you think we're, we're likely to maybe see one or two additions off the back of this? That depends. Um, if Stoke come in and make a bid that's acceptable for Sam Cosgrove, they've been up watching him again, then we could see him head out and reinforcements come in but I don't see an awful lot happening otherwise I think if Derek McInnes wants wants to make changes which initially he said he did because I think he was there was obviously talk last month about him wanting to bring in like a, a game changing player um, in the January window and then at the start of this month it was obviously the tone had changed somewhat to say there was there was going to be no new arrivals at all I think if 
if he is kind of serious about making changes to the squad, then he can point to Saturday's result and the current injury situation to say, look, we need two or three new faces here if we're going to achieve what we want to achieve. Um, I think I don't think that would be unreasonable. and I think he would probably be pressing that case kind of quite strongly on the back of that result and the kind of the form that they're in just now just to say, look, to achieve, to kind of make sure we get European football, we do need... Um, we do need a couple of changes here, be it loan signings, be it kind of free transfers. If this guy is out of contract or whatever, then I think it probably does need freshening up a little bit, particularly if there's um, any of these injuries that turn out to be long-term ones, then they're going to be needing, um, they're going to be needing kind of cover and, and options elsewhere. Okay. Uh, I've been take on Motherwell this weekend. Uh, Ross County um, are an action against... I don't know. Rangers. <laughs> Rangers. 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 They go to Ibrox on Saturday, uh, presumably to get on the front foot and attack. First of all, how do we how do we see those those games going? For Motherwell's obviously a huge game for Aberdeen, but if Ross County can take a point off Rangers, obviously Motherwell managed it the weekend just past. That's psychologically for County, it's a huge point in their season. Yeah, um, I mean they'll they'll take a, a a bit of encouragement from what Motherwell did. Um, Motherwell had to to defend very strongly for for large spells to well initially stay one nil up, and you know even after they they conceded the the equaliser to Eaton's goal, um, you know about twenty minutes from the end they you know they had to hold firm to to get the point. So um, I mean it's it's going to be another big show of character required to get anything from that game, but. I mean, they'll they'll want to try and get the likes of Jermaine Hilton and Ollie Shaw on the ball, and you know causing Rangers problems as well. They created a number of chances when they lost two 0 down at Ibrox earlier in the season. Um, quite unfortunate not to take something from that game. Um, it's clearly a, a huge challenge and, and not one that they'll be expected to take anything from. But um, I mean, the Aberdeen game was probably one that they they didn't expect um, you know to to win so convincingly. So. You know they can go into that one in good mood, and you know with the pressure off to a certain extent. But I mean they they want to try and keep this feel good factor going as as long as they can. And um, you, you know I, I suppose John Hughes will be looking for a you know a good performance more than anything, just to to try and and keep the keep the mood happy around Dingwall. From an Aberdeen point of view, clearly they're looking to bounce back as well. I mean they don't want to go three defeats in a row. I don't think that's happened too many times. Uh, to be fair, but uh, they'll be looking for a, a response. But it, it it won't be easy. Um, as we've just said, Motherwell took a point off Rangers at the weekend and they're unbeaten in their, their two games against the Dons this season. So it's shaping up to be a tasty one and a feisty one, I would imagine, under Graham Alexander's Motherwell at Pataudry on Saturday. Okay, let's take a little break then. That went on um, about 15 minutes longer than I thought it would, but um, expectedly probably given what I had to discuss. Uh, next up, we'll discuss the potential for the championship second tier to be stopped like the lower leagues have been. Okay, so this has caused a little bit of a stooshy in recent days. Um, shout out to the other DC Thompson podcast that goes by that name. Um, the SFA suggested, um, well, they, they, they've asked for the thoughts of the other championship teams about suspending the season following um, a bit of a misunderstanding with Cali Thistle, I suppose. 
John Robertson gave an interview and talked about what he sees as the reason for the championship continuing amid the um, COVID-19 pandemic and the situation it is at the moment. Um, Chief Executive Scott Gardner took a bit of umbrage with this, um, basically saying that it wasn't Inverness's official stance that they wanted the the season paused, uh, saying that nothing could be further from the truth and saying that they're desperate to get promoted um, and 100% it's their position to finish the season. What did John Robertson say? Well, John Robertson had said in an interview that um, believe Andy Skinner, you were there. Um, I was in the Zoom call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talked about he talked about struggling psychologically with the added pressure of the season, keeping his players safe, and you know, is there that sort of support for managers isolated from his family, things like that, up in Inverness? But as part of that, he questioned um, the initial statement from SFA President Rod Petrie about the decision to. Um, Pause the lower leagues, but not the championship and premiership, which he made reference to commercial TV deals. Um, finding a balance there, and he made the point that if the only reason the championship's been continued is because of TV deals, then they're putting players at risk for five thousand pounds per club. Um, Scott Gardner said that was nuanced. I, I think that's um, a pretty personally, in my opinion, that's um, a pretty <laughs> strong opinion towards the championship being paused. Anyway, um, guys, just. I suppose, first of all, do you think the championship will be paused? Do you think um, John Robertson's concerns were valid? Do you think it is his opinion, Andy, from being there that the championship should be paused in um, contradicting his his chief executive? What's your thoughts? I, I don't even think he was he was contradicting his chief executive in in the interview. I mean, he was he was clear at the time that it was just his his opinion and. You know the the point he kept coming back to throughout that interview was really questioning the the morals of of why the decision had been made to suspend the the lower leagues but not the uh, the championship. Um, you know he didn't call for the championship to to stop per se, but it was it was more to do with that line in the initial statement which came out from the SFA, um, which referred to the the commercial interests. Um, you know the the television deals being an important factor in in keeping the championship going. Um, you know he, he referenced the fact that the championship clubs don't make a, a lot of money from that commercial agreement. But you know morally he he thought it was wrong that that was being used as a a means of saying that it it was you know expected of of the championship clubs to to continue when you know a couple of part time clubs compete in that league and you know further down the leagues you've got both full time and part time clubs that have been asked to stop so it was more to do with the the way that that decision was reached that rather than you know a, a call for the the championship season to to stop you know he was asked directly if he if he felt that the championship um should have been stopped and uh no he, he didn't didn't say that um you know he he, he was more kind of criticizing the, the the way that the decision had been reached that so i think the the sfa were you know, not wrong to to consult the clubs, and uh, off the back of that interview, you know, John Robertson raised legitimate concerns, but um, you know, it, it should never have been taken as Cali Thistle's club position without you know a further consultation, um, you know, with the the club and you know, primarily Scott Gardner to to determine exactly where Inverness stood on the matter, but. Um, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure if the the championship will stop. I think we'll we'll probably have to just wait and see how the 
how the figures uh, show because we're due another update from the First Minister today, I think. And um, I think it's just going to be a case for, for both the Premiership and the Championship of kind of playing it by ear for these next few weeks. Okay. Um, Inverness, we're supposed to play Wraith at the weekend with COVID testing coming in, which is obviously now mandatory for Championship teams. There were positive sound at Wraith, which meant that Wraith asked for the game to be moved, which it was. Um, now there's weekly tests in the Championship, as we've suspected all along in the lower leagues and the Highland League, I suppose. that They will find a lot of cases. You probably don't expect this to be the last time something like this happens. Yeah? I'd agree. I think that's going to shape whether the Championship season makes it to the finish line. Is how many tests are we going to get if we're going to be tested on a, a weekly basis in the lower leagues? And it will, it, it opens it up now because if a championship has regular positive tests, then the pressure is going to be on for clubs in League One, League Two, and the lower le- levels, such as the Highland League, to be looking at testing as well. And if they all start coming back with, with positive tests, I think we've got t- trouble ahead. I'm sure there is plenty of asymptomatic cases that have been out there while football's been being played in all the divisions that just because of there not being testing we haven't really known about obviously those those infections can pass to people who are going to have symptoms um, in people's everyday lives uh, as things stand um, this weekend Inverness will host Aloha looking to get revenge for December's 2-1 defeat I mean it feels like the games have been so slow in coming anyway for Inverness that they might as well have been on pause but um Andy, that particular result against Alawa, Jamie, whoever wants to come in on this one, that's that's a sore point in Inverness's season that they'll be looking to put right, correct? Yeah, I think they're just kind of keen to get back to playing some sort of football because I think it's it's been obviously since December that they've that they've not played a game. Um, and there's three there's three games they announced last week that they they rearranged. I believe it's Morton Queen in the south and and Arbroath were all kind of rearranged after they were postponed, and they've obviously got the the outstanding Scottish Cup tie against Bucky Thistle as well. Um, and I mean, the, I think the weather forecast for later on in the week isn't great either. So hopefully that uh, that Alloa game kind of kind of goes ahead. Um, but yeah, it's then they do need to kind of string some results together and get some games under the belt to, to kind of reassert themselves in the in the playoff race. I mean, from what Scott Gardner said on Saturday, they obviously still have designs on trying to get promoted this season and if they kind of the win the games in hand it'll put themselves right back in kind of playoff contention um and a home game against against Alloa um albeit the one of the probably the best part-time team in the country they would they would still be targeting a home game against against Alloa to to pick up three points um, taking aside last week's press conference which uh well in which football was was hardly mentioned the uh, from a purely football perspective, I don't think I've seen John Robertson as uh, as frustrated and uh, disappointed as he as he was after that last Alloa game. Um, he just saw it as a massive missed opportunity, given that they were ahead in the match because um, they've been needing that result just to try and break into the the top four, and they would have done had they held on. So you know he wasn't at that point able to foresee the number of games that have been called off, but and, you know it's resulted in Inverness falling further adrift so it, it kind of puts the the onus on them in these outstanding fixtures that they've got that have been rearranged to to string a run together and yeah at, at home to Aloha they'll, they'll certainly target that as being a, a game that they need to take three points from um, and it's going to be a busy run of fixtures coming up um, you know it, it kick starts a 
pretty much a five game fortnight for them. So, uh, you know, they, they really just need to, to try and get into that winning habit and, uh, you know, just try and, and break into that, that top four, which they've been trying to do all season. The only thing standing in their way is the Scottish government, the Scottish Football Association and the weather. Anyway, that'll do us for this week's episode of Northern Goal. Um, we've enjoyed it. Thanks to Paul, Andy and Jamie for being here today. Thank you guys. You're welcome. Not You're a problem welcome. at all. If you've enjoyed the episode, you can email at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk and you can also like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, enjoy whichever game you're going to be able to watch this weekend. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.